podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. to another edition of Across the Pond NBA podcast. Um, myself, Ryan, and we've got uh, today with us the guest of Tyler Small. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, Tyler, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Thank you again for having me on. Uh, my name is Tyler Small, currently a junior journalism major, hoping to get into the sports journalism field right now at LaSalle University. So now I'm based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but not homegrown, usually back from New Jersey, New York area. So a little bit out of sorts, out of the fandom here, but it's fun to be here and it's fun to be on. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. No worries. Obviously you've, you've went to Philly just to uh, get a sense of what it's like to be in the playoffs again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently not this year since the Eagles let us down, but um, yeah, it, it is a little different. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the, one of the main stories I think we're going to talk about today is uh, kind of from your neck of the woods. It's about the Nets giving up all them first round picks to go and get their man, James Harden. What's, what's your, what's your thoughts on the, on the James Harden situation so far? I'm not a fan of the fit. I'm really not. And there's one main reason why I don't want to bore your fans with too much of the numbers here, but I just, I did a little deep dive as soon as the trade had happened and just completely going off of the starting lineup, having Harden, Durant and Irving, not really basing it off of all the four teams involved, all went back and forth and whatnot, but the usage percentage I think is too much just to have on one team. Harden's career, the career usage percentage for these three players is top 20 of all time. Harden's is 30.69%, which is eighth all time. Durant is 30.16, 11th all time. And Irving is 29.3, which is 16th all time. It's too much people, it's too much to spread the ball around. There's only one ball, people say. The only other time multiple players that had a higher than 30% usage rate and were on the same team was LeBron and Dwayne Wade back in Miami Heat. It obviously worked, of course, but the only reason it worked is because when LeBron joined the Heat, Wade's usage percentage went down by 10.4%. And they're also just really good shot creators. So, like, the fact that they could get the ball around and get high percentage shots, I mean, the numbers back it up. When LeBron James passes to an opponent, they have a 35.4% chance to make the shot, which is the 94th percentile. For Wade, it's 30%, and it's 83rd percentile for his position. For Irving, Durant, and Harden, when you compare them from their usage percentage to their assist percentage, they're in the 24th percentile for Irving, 64th percentile for Durant, and 70th percentile for Harden. So I just don't think they're good enough shot creators to make it worth it for them having the ball nearly 90% of the possessions. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think, like, they're, they're three superstar players, and they've got, I mean, they, they, they seem to be three of the obviously the biggest egos in the sport as well at, the time, at, at this current moment mm-hmm. i really worry about how they're going to quote because that's not how they're going to share the ball because i i think that Irvin and durant so far this season have shown that they're going to share the ball pretty well mm-hmm. i just worry how they're all going to coexist about who's going to take over the game that's that's my main mentality around it like whenever whenever i saw uh katie join the warriors i thought 
that's it may it may imp impact on uh, Steph or Clay's shot selection or their amount of involvement in the play. But because the system that Steve Kerr was using, it really helped Durant just get even more efficient than he was in the Thunder. So I I really worry that 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 kind of situation will not occur in Brooklyn, mainly because the other two guys around Durant are also very much ISO scorers rather than spot-up shooters like they were in, in, in Golden State. That That's my main worry about it. Um, what, what do you think about them now not having basically a whole bench? Like one of, one of their, or the, the whole kind of trade was based around giving up basically their whole bench unit. You've got Jarrett Allen, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert. Uh, Kirkrich wasn't really part of the bench. He was more of a kind of rotational player, but yeah. he still was an impactful player. I mean, he got to the three-point contest last year, I'm pretty sure. So mm. he has some worth, but that is pretty much their whole bench gone. How how do you see that kind of working over the over the long run? It's funny you mentioned mentioned Harris actually because I think he's the only one happy from this trade because now the only shots if there are three shot takers that just take it off the dribble, then he's going to be getting all the shots he wants in the world. He basically is going to be catching shoes, so he's got to be loving that because that's the best situation for him. So he's the only winner out of that in my opinion. But I think the number one factor this comes from and this is kind of the boring answer, it comes defensively. I mean, you lose Jared Allen now, you're banking on a past-his-prime DeAndre Jordan to be your primary rim protector. The only guys you really have behind him are Claxton, Green, and Perry. And Jeff Green, at the same time, really isn't anybody to write home about either. It was almost – I'm pretty sure he was trending on Twitter when the trade happened because people forgot that he was still in the league. So <laughs> it's a lot. Defensively, it's going to be tough. And then at the same time, Karis LeVert was a really good 3 and D kind of player, and he was pretty much transcending. He had the horrific injury a couple of years back, and he seemingly came back from it and was just excelling. So now you only really have Dinwiddie and sometimes Irving to kind of be those perimeter defenders. But at the same time, you just mentioned it earlier. Or the fact that there are now three big egos on the team, so much so that Durant seems like the most cool-headed, level-headed guy on that roster by far compared to the other two is massive. I mean, it's an impossible ask for Steve Nash to come in for his first season. He's got to be careful what he says, because if he says something wrong, he might not have a player for the rest of the season. So you have no idea how to it's very, it's walking on eggshells. And it's obviously a lot to say right now, after just the other night, James Harden picks up a triple double in his first game back. It looks like he lost 30 pounds since that last picture was taken on Wednesday and Kevin Durant dropped 40. So obviously he was looking good to start, but I think the longevity of it, as soon as some controversy comes up their way, it's going to be huge that they don't have that bench. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I actually really worry about, is Kyrie going to come back? <laughs> like, still no one's really known what's going on with Kyrie. And it's a case of, he is the basically make-or-break piece to fit into this. Because without Kyrie, you're going to get 25 minutes of Timothy Lowe Cabrero and 25 minutes of Landry Shamit. Do people really want to see 25 minutes of Landry Shamit? Like, I, I don't really think that's really what people want to see. And I don't think that's going to help them on the defensive end either. Like, Shamit is a better defender than Irving, but I wouldn't say he can handle the ball or even shoot that well. That's that's a, that's a big minus in, in, in my mind. And what you did touch on there is the fact that they did get, they did pick up a win, a very, very close win against Orlando Magic last night, <laughs> which was a game that kind of went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was watching that quite closely. And what I noticed in the fourth quarter is 
both teams couldn't stop a parked car. They yep. literally, it was just a, like, you score two points, we'll score two points. You score two points, we score two points. That was like the whole fourth quarter. And I said at the start of the season, the Nets are basically going to be one of these teams that are going to score like 130 on a given any given night, but they're going to concede like 130 as well. So it's kind of up to the opposing team to not miss the occasional shot rather than are they going to stop them. They, a lot of teams won't be able to stop them, but they won't be able to stop a lot of teams either. So I think with that trade, they've even got even worse on defense, which is insane to think about. What, what's your What's your thoughts on the Kyrie situation? Do you think he's going to play this week or do you think he's going to be gone for another couple of weeks? There's only one man in the world that knows that answer, and it's Kyrie. And we're not even sure if he knows that answer yet because he just – it's tough to follow, and it's so unfortunate because if you do get Kyrie, it's almost like a project because it's always worth it because the ceiling that he has is immense. It's one of the greatest point guards of all time. I mean, that run he had with the Cavaliers in the 2016 3-1 comeback is some of the best I've ever written, and that's the potential that he has. But just all the off-court issues, all the – mental aspects that he takes into consideration it's massive and you don't know if you can depend on it now that could have been a huge factor because the James Harden trade really did happen in the same breath as Kyrie Irving getting fined and then just going off the map basically so if that was a part of the consideration thinking that maybe it wouldn't be the three of them you know we're doing this trade because it's obviously right in front of us again I don't this trade was basically, we didn't really touch on it, but this trade was basically done not from GM to GM or team to team. It was done by Harden to the team. So the fact that this is being waived right in front of the Nets, obviously they're going to take it. But I think what maybe came into consideration, willing to take the payday, willing to give up your entire future, basically, in draft stock, I'm thinking it 100% came down to, we don't know what we're getting from Kyrie Irving. Let's get Kevin Durant another score. Someone he's played with before. Not in the same magnitude, of course. The Oklahoma City days were a lot different than this. But I don't know if you can depend on Kyrie Irving, and I think that's kind of where this all came from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I do tend to think, like, the Nets kind of have that in their DNA now. Like, this is, what, their second real big shakeup in their kind of future that they've had. They had, obviously, that massive trade with KG and Paul Pierce back in the day uh, where they basically just gave up everything for, like, everything. 10 years. Yep. And like hoped it would work. I I thought it was a really bad move back then. I kind of think this one's a worse move, mainly for the wow. fact that the East I feel is a lot stronger than it was back then. Back then it was basically you've got to get through LeBron. If you can get through LeBron, then maybe this can work out. This this East, I think they've got a lot more opposition. They've got Philly, they've got Boston, they've got Indiana, they've got um for, for some weird unknown reason, the Raptors are still, even though they've had a really bad start to the season, I still don't think that they're out of the playoff contention just for the fact that Nick Nurse will do some weird magic that will get them probably mm-hmm. to the playing game at the worst. Uh, and then they've got a real kind of bunch of guys that are just going to kind of grit and grind it all out. And I don't know if the Nets can even put up and hang with the Raptors in a playoff series, mainly for the fact that if they're going to hang with the Raptors, they need to play Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving over 40 minutes a night, which I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening without them getting picking up a little niggle injury, without them being some kind of massive drama 
and one taken a half. So I think that they, they will, when they do get to playoffs, that will be the first round will be the real make or break situation for them. We'll see what their actual tendencies are rather than just, oh, they're playing regular season games. They'll play, they'll play 40 minutes and they'll drop 40 to 50 points a night and it'll look fantastic. But when all comes down to it, will they actually be the ground out result? I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see it happening. What's, what's your thoughts on, on that? No, I think you're 100% right. I mean, to a, to a certain point, we're going to get, I think we're going to get into it, at least I will, when we get to the COVID postponements and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, because over 50% of the league makes the playoffs, it makes the regular season not really as crucial as it is in some other leagues here. And once you see that, it's basically a shoe-in. If you have these guys on the team, they're obviously going to make the playoffs, and it just matters when. And I think you're right. The East is very battle-tested. I mean, Philadelphia finally looks like they have the right formula to go around Simmons and Embiid. The Celtics are peaking at the right time, basically, finally. The past couple of years, it seemed like they were just a couple of years too early. They got some extra pieces out of there, getting Gordon Hayward out, I think was good, because now they can build around Taysom and Brown and use Kemba Walker. And you're right, those teams like the Pacers, the Pacers just lost Victor Oladipo, obviously. It's a huge loss. That was their superstar. But they've lost him in years past due to injury and still been a playoff contender. So they are just phenomenal at working with what they got. And the same thing with the Raptors. You're right. So there's a tough battle in the East. But I think what it really comes down to at the end of the day, and even though he's a 36-year-old guy now in Los Angeles, they would rather go to a tougher conference than actually have to play him. It always seems like they're trying, the league and their talent are trying to get away from LeBron James because just when it comes to playoff basketball, nobody is more suited. And I still think at the end of the day, roster wise, whether you're looking at it on paper or looking at it overall, the Lakers are still a thousand times better than the Nets right now. And it's because oh, of that depth. It's because yeah, of that, 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 that depth that they've got there is, I, we've talked about it a few times on the show, is just, it's, it's insane to think like they lost two real big pieces over the summer and they replaced them with better fitting pieces which was weird like yeah they 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 almost went older but they went older and wiser in that in that kind of aspect and they got a bit more experience a bit more kind of calmness around the basket and I think like the Lakers are going to be definitely the ones to beat this year it's 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 going to be it's going to be a tough slog for anyone to get past those guys I think what you were saying earlier about them moving on to the kind of COVID postponements, that it will come into a big kind of factor of who makes playoffs and where the seeding goes this year. Um, just kind of touching on the COVID postponements, the, the past week has kind of seen obviously a big kind of spike in the, the amount of games being postponed. Ten games in one week is, is quite is quite something. Yeah. Um, four of the main teams that were affected were Phoenix, Washington, Boston, and Mavericks. What's your, what's your take on, on how these teams are going to be coming back from their postponement games and how, how are they going to react to having a kind of a heavier schedule later on in the year? You know, it's going to be very interesting what they do because as of now, you have the benefit of the doubt being that we are still very far away from the playoffs and you can start loading up some games. You can give people longer breaks, figure out the schedule, this, that, and the next thing. This has nothing to do actually with what I think is going to happen, you know, pandemic wise, the spread, because it seems like it's obviously impossible to tell that, of course, but I think it's going to get ugly down the road. And here's why. 
when you if you're a player for Minnesota, Detroit, Washington, Chicago, New Orleans, even you're at the bottom of the rankings right now. If that stays 30, 40 games down the road, you really think those players on a Friday night are still going to follow the COVID protocols? I I don't. I think it's going to cause an uproar of spread. And I think it's going to affect some of the top teams because if Minnesota is playing the Lakers and they all go out to a party the day before and spread that, that is both the teams shut down. And that could be huge for the Lakers. So in that case, I kind of hope they manage it like they did the MLB season this year where they try and they tried fitting all those 60 games in as much as they could. Unfortunately, the St. Louis Cardinals just got hammered with it for a couple of weeks and they were basically having to play double headers every day, which was so much to ask from them. But at the end of the day, they didn't get those 60 games. So they went by win percentage. It really didn't change anything in the standings, but it did change something for the team because the fact that they had to play those double headers, they just limped into the playoffs. So I could see that happening to another team too. That could be a huge factor if, Let's say we're right out of it and Milwaukee has to play a lot of back-to-back nights, was on a terrible road trip. One of those situations, they get stuck in a hotel for two weeks. Even though they'll have a – they're definitely going to have another season where they have 60-plus wins if we get all the games in. You, you can't really count on them in the playoffs if they're coming off that and they're so fatigued because it's almost as if they're injured, but they're not because they still have the whole roster. So it's going to be very interesting. I'm very – intrigued to see how the league handles it because I don't think there's really any perfect way yeah I I kind of agree with you there I, I think that the league the league is in a very kind of uh, risky position just now where they they think they they've got a way of kind of solving this just by you know saying oh we'll try and postpone games here and there we're not going to take a two-week break and stuff like that just in case it does get a bit out of control um but I, I think like if there's going to be another couple of weeks of 10 to 10 plus games postponed, I think there's going to be an outside pressure to kind of postpone it for at least a week just to see if the cases, the numbers do go down a little bit. Um, I think what you said earlier about the the kind of bottom teams, about how they're going to react to these kind of postponements, I do agree. It's, it is going to get a little bit kind of frustrating for, for these guys because they're obviously not seeing themselves as a kind of playoff contender and they're more worried about rightfully so about their own health and stuff like that but the health of their own family i think that leads to uh, george hill's comments pretty pretty nicely um the fact that he came out early on this week and saying um well if it's that serious maybe we shouldn't be playing um which it is a very serious situation but if he's wanting to kind of breach rules and stuff like that, that the nba are trying to enforce why is he wanting to do it now when he's on OKC, when he didn't want to do it in the autumn there, when he was playing for the Bucks. You're right. I mean, you're 100% right. There's obviously a big discrepancy there. And I, I get it when it comes to the end of the day, because when once you hear, it's kind of our natural reaction as fans or as humans. If we hear something happen, if you hear that there's a spike in the locker room, something like that, your instant assumption is, oh, they went out and partied, oh, they went out and went to the club or something like that, because those stories have come out of this league in particular. However, it it really is simple stuff like that. I mean, there are, there have been cases where, I, I'm sorry to go back to baseball again, but it's just so prevalent, where the Marlins were the first team to really get affected last season. Everyone started having these rumors because they're in Miami, you know, that they were out 
partying or at clubs they were seeing this here and the next thing really turns out that they got it at a coffee shop you know you really can't tell so at the end of the day if you it's tough to ask these players not to be able to go see their family and it's tough to do all these other things but that's unfortunately the world we live in and there's a lot of money on the line that's team base is one thing kind of backing your brothers in a sense is the other for your being together as a unit having one collective goal but what it really comes down to is dollars and these the dollars are going to be lost if we don't get a playoffs and if we have to cut the season short and that's really what's at stake here so it takes a full team effort and i, I get it if you don't want to be a part of that if you're really not getting any of the benefits yeah definitely definitely i think i think like um adam silver has got a real kind of tough situation on his hands and i think like they will try and treat it as best as they can do but they'll they'll need to have a lot more kind of meetings with the the kind of players association just to make sure that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet almost because i think like further than line it is going to crop up that some teams aren't as happy with the, the current situation and the regulations coming in force So by now, you'll have seen our website, atpsports.net. You're going to admit, it's pretty awesome. It was brought to you by the team at Data Squared. You can find them on the web, datasq2.co.uk. They're dedicated to bringing you the very best in website design, hosting, and security. Their aim is to provide you with the very best package you need to help you spread the word about your business. Data Squared will design and build a website for you. And they'll build it not just for desktop, but for all devices, so you can be seen on the move. Data Squared will help you choose your domain, making sure it's relevant to you and your business. And they'll open up an online store for you. They have the tools um, so you can keep track of customers, their orders, stock, and much, much more. So why not expand your business online today with Data Squared? Visit datasq2.co.uk. Right, so the next kind of story that we're going to talk about is due to the fact of all these kind of COVID postponements, we've had this massive, almost like rise of the rookies situation going on. Um, some of the rookies that I'm going to rattle off just now have really kind of shown out over the last like five to six games. You've got the likes of Tyrese Maxey, Gabe Vincent, Vincent uh, Peyton Pritchard, uh, Patrick Williams, Cole Anthony, and then finally Lamella Ball. These guys have been kind of on the fringes of other teams mostly throughout the year. Um, but for the past like five games, they've really been putting up some big numbers. Um, one of the guys I, I want to highlight um, would be Cole Anthony. The fact that he's now basically the starting point guard for the Orlando Magic. Um, the first couple of games that he had were a little bit kind of shaky. I think in the first two possessions, he had a turnover and a loose pass. Um, and it was like, ooh, maybe it's a little bit too soon for him. But I think he's kind of settled into his role quite nicely. So it'll be really interesting to see how he kind of takes that on for the rest of the season. What's your thoughts on this um, rise of the rookies situation that's going on just now then? You know what? When we look at the roster restrictions and kind of the bigger opportunities it gives, the first thing I think is how fun it's possibly going to be for the great stories we've seen in NBA past, like a Jeremy Lin or an Andre Ingram situation. Just Because usually how the story goes is – you get draft if you don't get drafted, not it, it used to be just first round. If you got drafted, you were going to have an opportunity on the NBA roster. But the second rounders, it was pretty tough unless you're on a struggling team. I mean, 
like the number one example I always gave is Grayson Allen got drafted by Utah Jazz. He was a star player. Obviously, he had some bad stuff going on in the tripping situation <laughs> in college. But he he was one of the greatest players of Duke history, playing all four years. And because he wasn't a big enough name any of those four years, he got sent straight to the G League. Now he's finally worked his way onto his starting roster. I think in Sacramento he's been putting in some work. But I'm I'm happy to see some players like that. I mean, like Cash, Cassius Winston was a star for Michigan State, just got an opportunity. Now he's going to be one of those players that has benefited by more of the role coming from these rookies. And it's led, like you said, from the stars. I mean, Anthony Edwards, obviously, leading it with points per game, 12.5. LaMelo Ball has been a star, obviously. So they have the top of the thing. But Tyree Maxey, I think, has been such a special player because he is such a, a huge transition piece. I think, in all honesty, Tyree Maxey is what the 76ers wanted Martel Fultz to be. But he's got he's got a lot more speed. He's got a lot more better ball, better ball control. They're not they kind of finish at the rim in a similar fashion, and I think he just doesn't really have the mental aspect that Marco Fultz unfortunately had. I mean, now he's in Orlando and he's getting it done there. And I like how Orlando's taking on all these kind of projects and putting together a great team around Aaron Gordon. But Tyree Maxey, on the other hand, just kind of is a plug a plug and play kind of guy. Wasn't expecting much, and now in points per game, he's tied for fourth on the entire rookie route rookies of the NBA so it's huge for him to be putting up double figures and putting up the minutes that he has and it's just exciting to see all these new faces especially the some of the top ones that we've seen from college again you mentioned Peyton Pritchard I could go on all day about Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon he was such one of the most fundamentally sound players I've seen in a while and I'm so excited that the Boston Celtics are actually giving him a chance and big opportunities I mean he had that game-winning shot the other night so yeah 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 Definitely. I mean, really I, was, I was I was quite high on Peyton Pritchard um, just as the season was starting, uh, mainly because I, I saw him like a little bit in college and I saw mm-hmm. obviously flashes of him like in the kind of preseason warm-ups and stuff like that. And I was thinking he looks like a real good player. Mm-hmm. And like the first couple of games where he was getting only like five to ten minutes, I was really questioning, why do they have Jeff Teague? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> like Peyton Pritchard is so much better already. Like mm-hmm. I would even consider, do you know what? Set Kemba out the whole year. Have Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard as your two-point guards. You're done. That's a much better lineup than you've got Kemba Walker and Jeff Teague, both of whom are going to have massive injury worries. And, you know, they're going to have real real cold shooting nights. And these guys, you know, they, they don't let that get to them. Yeah. Pritchard basically has no fear at all. Like, you've seen him against the likes of Joel Embiid and stuff like that. And, they, they, like... They have no worry about who they're going to go up against in the paint. They're just going to take it the normal way. And yeah. they'll take contact, they'll get back up, and they'll go again. You know, the energy these guys have is just fantastic. Um, one little uh, bit I would say about Lamelo Ball, do you think that he'll maybe overtake um, Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham as a starting point guard at some point this season? I think he will just for market value. You know, I think he will just because – it's what the nation wants to see. And whether you like that or not, it becomes from the whole family chain of everything. It's, I think he's the most talented of the three. Obviously he's not as good of a ball distributor as Lonzo Ball has been. Also, we're going to get to him. So I don't want to step on our toes too much, but LaMelo Ball, I mean, he is just a much more talented scorer and he has the potential to actually be a difference maker in a game. 
where I don't know if any of the other ones on the roster actually have that capability. So I think that he eventually will start getting some starting minutes. He's already at 25.2 minutes per game. So obviously it's can only go up from there, of course, but still that's a very good starting caliber for him to yeah. begin his career yeah. on. So I will have to see how he works with the other team because it seems like all they get such a bad rep from his father, obviously, but I think all three of them really do kind of mesh with te- their play their teammates well I should say so I think it won't be really necessarily a problem with him kind of gelling with the chemistry I think it's just a matter of time when honestly it might be an ownership decision just to get viewership up yeah like I've actually watched quite a lot of Charlotte basketball this year and mainly the fact that I did tip them to get into the playoffs this year and the fact that I've got Gordon Hayward in my fantasy league team oh, um yeah. <laughs> so I've got a little bit of faith in them um, getting to that kind of aspect uh, this year, mainly for the fact that they have just this team of a bunch of rangy guards and like wings that can just kind of play a lot of different positions, which I think a lot of the other teams in the East around that kind of eight, ninth spot, they don't seem to have that. They've got two guys, and if one of them gets injured, that's it. Whereas Charlotte seem to have a lot of guys that can just kind of plug and play different places. So I think that they'll eventually overcome that but I was quite surprised that they still haven't started Lomel because Terry's been okay Devontae Graham hasn't obviously produced anywhere near the the kind of highlights or good games that he's shown last year so I did think that that would happen before now obviously um they'll probably just take it a little bit slower um just in case they overwhelm because obviously we've seen the likes of um Killian Hayes and Tyrese uh Halliburton uh start and they didn't obviously produce the same kind of effect as they were off the bench so obviously that's that's where they're they're playing just now injuries that have came up over the last week or two um Nurkic being the big one obviously he's broken his wrist so he's gonna be out for quite quite some time it's rumored to be um eight, eight, at least eight weeks which kind of takes us up to maybe the last couple of weeks of the season I tend to think that they'll probably keep him out for the rest of the season and maybe bring him back when they make the playoffs I don't see them kind of rushing them back this time just to be in the safe side, even though it is a totally different injury than the last time. It's a hand injury rather than a leg injury. So I think he'll be fine for the playoffs. Westbrook, a three to four week injury. Lonzo Ball out for two to three weeks. CJ's going to be out for probably about a week now after last night getting stamped on by Capella. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose. I think he was, I mean, Capella gets annoyed at the best times. And he, I don't know. He did. He did look where he was going. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I want to say he didn't kinda... mean it, but it looked a little bit suspect when you watch on replay. So what, and sometimes when you slow it down like that, it does kind of look yeah. a lot worse than it actually was. But that that one was a little tough to defend. I agree. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on the on the injury uh, injuries from this week? Do you think it's 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 a it's another kind of big dent on the fact that they're playing so many back-to-backs and stuff. I think that's that's what we were kind of talking about before with the fact that it just seems to be injury after injury after injury from, from oh. a lot of teams just now. So Absolutely. What's, your, what's your take on the on the injury front? Absolutely. I mean, every sport has kind of been the same way where you're playing those back-to-backs. And I think a better example is the fact that sometimes if you have a case or something like that, you just have to shut down practices for a while. So to kind of just go from nothing at all, can't really do anything besides Zoom, to just stepping on the court and expecting to be anything to the – like any 
sort of prepared, I should say. It's very difficult. I mean, it's the same reason. It's the same way that years ago when there was an NBA lockout and they had such a shortened preseason and then just enter the regular season injuries were through the roof and they were all soft tissue injuries. The ones that you can build up for impact, the ones that you can prepare for an 82 game slate and you do it the same way that they've done it for years past where you play a multitude of games before you get there. You don't do that for the fans. You do that for the players actually putting a good example out there. Now, Nurkic, on the other hand, obviously, like you said, not necessarily a soft tissue injury, but I think of that list that you just mentioned, he is by far and none the biggest loss. He has been transcendent ever since he entered the league in 2014. He averaged 6.9 points per game back then. He's increased every single season by at least two points per game. Now he's sitting, he was sitting at 17.6 points per game last season, off to a slow start so far, averaging less than 10. But also his last two seasons, he was in double digits for rebounds per game. So he has been exactly what that team needs. They are the perfect example of, when I go back to usage percentage, Damian Lillard, obviously high up there. I think he's top 30 in usage percentage career all time. And it's just perfect because of the way the backcourt, him and CJ McCollum work. I still think he mentioned it when they were accusing the Wizards of having one better, but they still are the best backcourt in the NBA, in my opinion, until the Splash Brothers return to full strength. But Nurkic having that in the center to spread it out a little bit, but still have a force inside to congest, and he still can get it up and down the court at a relatively good pace. He's such a big loss for them. Definitely. I I kind of agree with you. I think that um, Portland probably do have the best backcourt in the league, um, mainly for the fact that they've got that chemistry. Like the Wizards, obviously, they might have two um, higher tier players as they might they might see. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think they will have the same chemistry that CJ and them would ever have. Like they have basically been together since they came into the league, and they are just like they're on each other's way level. You can see when one of them sits down, the other one takes over the exact same responsibilities, yeah. and they know exactly what each other is thinking, and that's it's something that you can't teach. It's something it's underrated. Yeah, you're right. And like I, I do, I, I actually think that the Wizards are going to struggle um, with Westbrook and Beal at some point in the season because we've seen them struggle to get wins. That I think will manifest itself a little bit into a bit of kind of not disrespect, but a bit of unease between the two of them because they're going to be looking at each other going, well, if I had that last shot or if I took that possession, we just scored, we would have won the game. And I just, I, I think the Westbrook kind of brings that to whatever team he's on. He seems mm-hmm. to be kind of putting a lot of the blame on himself. And it, it's a good and bad thing because he, he wants to take the responsibility, but he needs to realize that there'll be other players on the team that are more capable in certain situations than he is. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do tend to think like what you're saying there about the, the kind of almost going from zero to 100 was not the best way about doing things. And I think like, I think if um, Adam Silver probably had looked at the schedule a little bit closer, he probably would have not put so many back-to-backs near the start of the season. Yeah. And, you know, tried to spread out just a little bit more Obviously, he's got a time constraint about how many games he's got to try and get in. But it will be interesting to see how they they do the second half when that comes out, the second half of the the schedule, to see if they try and not have as many back-to-backs to to give players and to give teams that that rest that they obviously will need to be in full shape for the the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. And I I just want to quickly touch on the Westbrook thing because – 
again, he he was still personally one of my favorite players to watch, obviously. Anyone that puts in that effort level who was literally averaging a triple-double and we kind of just scoffed at it for seasons on end is just unbelievable. But I think I think that was we were scoffing at it because he was taking rebounds away from his teammates. Well, yeah, that too. That's <laughs> Stephen Adams was <laughs> not the best, not, not best pleased with them. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the thing I just pulled up his basketball reference, and it is still mind blowing to me. I knew this information, but every time I see it, it still blows my mind. He's thirty two years old, but you kind of just look at him with these explosive players and how horribly they age it feels like he's 42 just because he still has that bounce I'm not saying he's slow or slowing down at all but just the offensive production is really starting to struggle and his shooting his net was never something to write home about but it was usually secondary even tertiary to what it was that he could do off the bounce off the dribble his effective field goal percentage is falling at a very high rate it's only at 415 now that's one of the lowest in the league where the past couple of seasons, 468, 477, 476. That's kind of inexcusable. And then above all else, I mean, the free throws have been kind of a problem too. It's now this season, he's sitting at 65%. So it's really unfortunate to see. I think Bradley Beal has done a great job of cleaning up after him. He's averaging over 34 a game. So the fact that it's kind of, they're going to mesh eventually, but at least one of the people are putting up the production, but they're just not getting the wins yet. So We'll have to see, but I also agree with your other point. I like how they didn't set the second half yet. So hopefully they will be able to spread it out, but who knows when how strict they are to that deadline of trying to get – I think it's they're trying to play a long game, and that's kind of dangerous for players, but if they're just trying to fit everything in now so that next year it could be a normal schedule and they can get the full 82 in, start it before Christmas, end it in the summer, that's probably what they're going to shoot for, but I don't know how – much the quality is going to be there if you're just hurting all your players. Yeah, definitely. I, I tend to think um, that hopefully they might come to some agreement with the Players Association that they will look to reduce the amount of games. Because I don't know about yourself, but I think 82 games, especially when you go into looking at now we're going to have playing games for playoffs, that's a lot of games for a season. I mean, a lot of other sports don't play that many games. And especially in, in the short period of a season that it is yeah i think we need to really look at that for next year and see if they dropped it to 75 or 70 would people really be that upset no no No, absolutely not and again i'll say once and i'll say it again the regular season doesn't mean much i mean if at the end of the day maybe you'll see some shake up in seven and eight teams making the playoffs but you pretty much know from that original roster until now who's going to make the playoffs just based off the roster. It doesn't matter how or where they get in because there could be some awful injuries that happen. There could be some just incredible trades that happen. But at the end of the day, as long all willing of what the information, you know, at the start of the season, it's most likely going to play out in the end of the season. And even if you are one of those teams that just scratched the playoffs, make that eight seed when you really weren't supposed to, you're going to get bounced by the one seed. Anyway, the last time it happened was the, gotta believe warriors back and that was at least 10 years ago if my memory stands right so yeah it's i think that you can you why have these 82 games why squeeze them all in have a shorter regular season because majority of the fan base is kind of just locking in for the playoffs already so they'll watch the nba on tnt games they'll watch those espn games on a friday night when nothing else is on 
But at the end of the day, all they really care about is the extra coin they're getting when they get those playoff games in. Definitely, definitely. I think this this takes us quite nicely to kind of no, no, notable results for the week. Um, as you said, the the, the last kind of um, team to really kind of show that an eight seed could do something would be the the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Golden State Warriors, um, first one on the kind of the, the list here to kind of talk about today. Um, Steph shooting less than thirteen percent. Wow, less than thirteen. Unheard of, right? <laughs> It was just that. I mean, that that game. It was almost like somebody just taking away his powers and giving them to Kelly Oubre. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Oh, it's it's been. I don't know if you've watched much Golden State this year, but mm. it, it is pretty dire of unit points. It, they really need Steph to go off every single night for them to to be even relevant in games. Um, Kelly Oubre is just throwing up brick after brick. He's had a couple of games now where he's actually shot half decently. I think at one stage. The second last game, he shot from four from four from three, and the announcers are losing their minds. They're like, "He's changed. He's wait. He's he's went back into his son's uniform. He's totally fine now." (laughs) No, he's not. He's not. You're also commenting on the fact that Andrew Wiggins is now your primary scorer. Mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins is your primary scorer. That's not a good sign. It's really not. Um. So, but they did get the win. They got the win against the Raptors. Um. Raptors, you know, having a real torrid start to the season. Um, I didn't think they were going to have this bad a start to the season, just for the fact that they're not they're not playing at home. At, at, if you will, they're playing in Tampa. Um, but I think like their whole season will turn eventually. A lot of the games, as I keep saying, the games that they've lost have been with, within like four or five points. It's not like they've had massive blowouts like a lot of teams. They're literally just struggling just to go with that little bit of the line. So I, I predict them to be kind of turning around at some point soon. And um, what's your thoughts on on the whole Golden State situation? Obviously not favorable. I mean, like you said, they're kind of a got to go off to win team. Like the Nets are going to become even more so. But the one reason why you asked if I watch a good amount of them, I do, and here's why. I just want to see now what Steph can do by himself. I mean, he had all the resentment, all the discourse since fandoms are so have such short-term memory where it just becomes Damian Lillard played unbelievably this past season Steph Curry didn't even play therefore Damian Lillard is now better not so fast I mean Steph Curry comes back and plays it the way that he does and it's just I'm just excited now obviously it stinks that he is without the Splash Brother but at the end of the day I'm just very excited to see what Steph Curry can do on his own. Can he put a playoff roster together? Can he make Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins what Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson were together? I don't no. think they can. They can't. <laughs> Definitely <No>. not. <laughs> they, they absolutely cannot. But can he fool them in the postseason? Can he make them better than they actually are? Because that is what – if he wants to ever, ever be in the same breath when it's all said and done to what LeBron James has done in his career, the one thing he's got to do – is he's got to make those players better than they actually were. The fact that he, LeBron James is making Matthew Dellavedova a good enough player to play 30 minutes per game in the finals shows how good he makes the team around him. Like I was saying about the assist per earlier in, my, in the segment. But if Steph Curry can do that, if he can make Andrew Wiggins, who is untapped potential. I mean, when he was in Kansas, he looked like he was going to be the next thing. He obviously hasn't really come to fruition with that. Maybe it's just a coaching situation. Maybe Steve Kerr can crack him. And the same thing with Kelly Oubre. I think they're putting too much emphasis on him. He had that one four for four game, but that's pretty much 
a blessing for him. You just have to get him the appropriate shots. You got to get him enough minutes with the guys he's going to be around. I think he's a second tier kind of guy. So keep him with that steady rotation. Warriors do have a good bench. So hopefully that could kind of build around him. But at the end of the day, it comes down to Steph and Steph's going to have to cook. And so far he has been 28.4 points per game. So shooting's got to stay there. It obviously will. He won't have, I'd be surprised if he had a handful more percentage shooting games where they were in the teens this season. I think it's also just trying to get his legs from underneath him because it's tough to have a lot of back-to-back games, like we're saying before, also when you didn't play all of last season. So I'm pretty sure it's just a fatigue thing. I'm sure they'll rest him and get him back. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, no more no more hate on Della Dova. He is such a player. Y'all have me know. Oh, I, he, love, uh, I he, love Delhi. He, I love Delhi. He, he averaged, he averaged 3.5 uh, assist-to-turnover ratio that season that they went to the championship. So yeah. He has an amazing season that year. <laughs> um, <laughs> massive love for Delhi here. Massive. Oh, I love him too. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, he, he was a glorified Steve Kerr looking back in the 90s with Jordan when he was on that team with LeBron. So at least the fact that he could put him on that pedestal so we could see exactly how good Delhi was. Maybe that's how yeah. I should have said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the, the next the next little kind of um, game we're going to have a look at from this week was the, the battle of the COVID restricted teams. The Heat and the 76ers both were playing eight guys, and none of whom were their big guys, really. Um, you had the likes of Jimmy, Jimmy Butler out, Bam Adebayo out, Goran Dragic out, um, uh, Seth Curry um, was out as well. So obviously the 76ers were a little bit better prepared than the, the Heat were. Um, it did go to overtime, and it did take Danny I'm a Brick Green to uh, shoot a record nine threes in the game and Joel Embiid to go for 45 um, to edge past the Heat. Um, obviously, there was a big game from Gabe Vincent, Tyler Hero, um, Duncan Robinson were all putting in some pretty spectacular performances to keep to try and keep the Heat in that game. What's your take on the, on the battle of the, the restricted teams there? Listen, if you're as deep in the woods as you and I are, with NBA basketball, you like this kind of game because the fact that we got to see <laughs> we got to see Joe put up 37 minutes for the 76ers. We got Struss 24 minutes on the court. He put up seven shots. I mean, he's probably not going to have that high a volume shooting again unless this happens again, which God forbid it doesn't. Because Danny Green, I mean, Danny Green in the bubble last year, it felt like he had a gun to his head if he was taking more than three or four shots in a game. He took 21 threes. It was unbelievable. And it happened in a winning effort. I mean, the fact I'm sure both the, I'm sure both Doc Rivers and Eric Spolstra, when they saw this game going to overtime, they must've had heart palpitations because it's just unbelievable. The cut, the type of quality they had to put out there. And yet it still put up a great battle. These are going to be two of the top tier teams. The Heat haven't had as good of a start as the 76ers have, but I think that's just because the 76ers have had a shell shock in identity and have become basically what the Bucks' exact formula is, except the Bucks' formula is only with Giannis, but the 76ers use it with Embiid and Simmons. Hopefully it works. They're trying like the 10th time to make them the two of them work together. I don't think it's going to happen, but for now, it was fun to watch. Hopefully we don't have to see more of that because, I mean, it looked like an AAU game, just having three guys on the bench. 
I thought it was. I thought it was a really good game, though. It was very it was, back no, it and was, forth, it and was. like there was some there were some good drawn up plays. It wasn't like a case of no one's playing any defense here. It was you yeah, know, no. There was a lot of breakdown. There was a lot of um, well, that's nice what happens when you have stuff. it was three players on the bench. You kind of you can have a good defensive scheme, but at the end of the day, if someone's going to the rim, you gotta let them. If you get fouled out, that, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on the fact that Joel Embiid's now kind of taken to the fact that he's sitting away from the whole team now? I, It's huge for anyone. I think he's such, he's such a center point of this team. And both on the court and off, more actually off the court, even though he's probably one of the best centers in the game. But just, he, I, you just can't really put your thumb on it exactly how or why anyone's going to do what they do once he leaves. And whether that is just like a lack of chemistry, a lack of leadership, because Simmons is not the same as Embiid off the court, nearly you could put up the percentages of on and off spreads for them numerically. But once you look at it, nobody has a better impact on this team than Embiid. And I think it's going to be massive. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like obviously he's doing it to try and obviously bypass all the possible Tracing thing. Yeah. I, I, I hope that he's not doing it because he's had a bit of falling out with Ben Simmons. I don't think that's that's the case. I think it's just yeah. a case of I need to do this to make sure I'm not gonna be missing any games. Although after doing that, he's now out for the next couple of games, but it's just I'm pretty sure it's just rest he's he's noted as. Um but he is missing the next couple of games, which is a big, big miss for the 76ers. Although they did oh, get they did, I'm pretty sure they did win last night. Um, with Dwight Howard starting as the center? I'm no, sure they lost, I want to say, by two to the Grizzlies, yeah. Uh, I knew it was close. Like, I'm pretty yeah, sure when I checked in at the last, it was, they were up by four or something. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. assuming they're going to go over the line here. But obviously, yeah, I must have missed that. <laughs> um, obviously, Grizzlies now having um, Jam Rant back was obviously a big a big thing for them. So, obviously, that, that probably helped them a little bit. Yeah, um, no, he's huge to have back. I mean, Rookie of the year status. I'm so glad they gave it to him. I was oh, nervous yeah. that Zion was going to get that nod just because of Zion, but yeah, because Zion played like what ten games. Is that yeah, <laughs> ten games under under fifty minutes, and mm-hmm. he was going to get rookie of the year. So. Yeah, so obviously huge to have John Morant back. He just complete he completes them because he is them. There's nobody really else on that team to write home about. So yeah, a huge. You got to love to see that just to come in and stop the scorching hot 76ers, even with all the protocol, of course, but. That's just a huge feat for the Grizzlies if they want to do anything this season. Yeah. yeah. I still think that they're going to real struggle to even get into the playoff game, but it it will be interesting to see if they, they manage to get there. Um, the last little kind of game we're going to talk about is the Lakers' perfect week. Obviously, they played the Rockets twice, both times against James Harden. Um, once uh, was just before he got traded. Um, and I think there was a there was a, a cool, uh, nice little kind of meme that was going around. The fact that LeBron had a no-look three-pointer on James Harden and James Harden immediately watched traded was a sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was once against OKC and then once against New Orleans. Now, I watched all four games, and I think the hardest game for them was actually against New Orleans, which is not what I was thinking. I was thinking the hardest game was probably going to be one, again, one of the games against the Rockets. Mm-hmm. And if you, look at, if you look at the scores as well, it looks like it was one of the games against the Rockets. But the overall game, 
Um, the New Orleans Pelicans were up by, I think, I want to say it was 15 or so. Mm-hmm. And it looked like they were going to run away with it. And then the Lakers just pounded them, you know, mm-hmm. just methodically taking inside, getting to the line, making sure that Zion gets in foul trouble, making sure the ball gets out of Brandon Ingram's hands. And that really kind of stifled the Pelicans. And it was just it was just a really complete performance uh, by the Lakers to get them over the line there. What's your take on the, the Lakers having a perfect week? I think you're 100% right. I think that it was that New Orleans Pelicans win. Obviously, 112 to 95 doesn't look like a nail biter, tough victory, but compared to the scores overall, you're right. And I think the number one thing that comes that it comes down to is it was a gritty matchup. It wasn't. It was in the box score. Looked like it was star studded because all the players kind of played stuff like that. Got in the 20 range. But what it really came down to, <clears throat> excuse me, is there were six players on the Lakers that scored in double figures. Montrose Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope, and Dennis Schroeder. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. All four of them kind of getting a secondary role. I mean, if you look at it, Montrose Harrell only played 21 minutes and he put up 16 points and five rebounds. That's that's the difference. We, we were just saying it earlier, the Lakers got better this season after winning a championship, and it's because they had those secondary guys. I mean, Caruso right behind him with nine points in 18 minutes. He is always not only just fun to watch because he has bunnies, but it's also he is just such a great distributor, shot creator, everything you want in the book for a second, even third string point guard, depending on the day. So just to have the depth that they have. I mean, Markeith Morris didn't even really have an impact in this game. And he is one of their top players throughout uh, coming off the bench. So it, it just came down to depth at the end of the day. Brendan Ingram, Zion Williamson couldn't really get it done by themselves. Alexander Walker, J.J. Redick just didn't do enough to get him over the hump and beat their secondary unit. Who would you Who would you take? Would you take Crusoe or Taylor Horton Tucker? Oh, Crusoe, hands down. I think if he had a bigger role, if he were on a struggling team, like I, I for the longest time, a weird matchup that I want him to see. I would love to see him in the Sacramento Kings organization. I think him, I think him getting paired with a De'Aaron Fox and having Buddy healed out there to kind of spread it would be so fun to watch. If you were giving him 20, 25 minutes a game, you would be surprised at the production level he'd be putting up. So I, I would, I'm pretty quick to jump on one in Caruso as not a center point on a team, obviously, but someone that you could really put on someone you want to build around. Wow, wow, and put them to Sacramento Kings. That is just it's I have no idea how or why it would happen. I don't think the Lake I think the Lakers love him a lot, so they're never gonna let him go. But that whenever I do whenever I play NBA 2K and I start a franchise, that's one of the ones I like to do. <laughs> is is that just because you want to get rid of Luke Walton? Like well <laughs> I, I, I just I can't not because I, can't, I don't. <laughs> I can't I can't stand the guy. I just I, every time I see him make a coach decision, I'm like, that's the wrong decision, Luke. What are you doing? Just just do something else. Make any other decision other than the decision you're making just now. Um, I, I give been... him a lot of credit. First season with the Lakers <sighs> that LeBron went there. It's, t- it's tough. I don't know if – I hope you've never had a job like this. To have a job where you go in every day and you're pretty much thinking, A, I don't really – I'm not really actually doing my job. Somebody's doing it for me. <laughs> but I'm going to get the repercussions of when I do my job poorly. And – I could lose my job pretty much any minute. 
And the fact that he still went in there, rocked that suit, looked good in it, was still out there all the time. I give him a lot of credit for that. I just, I, I can't. I really can't. <laughs> I like, for the past, I don't know how many years now, he's been living off that one season that he took over from Steph, uh, mm-hmm. Steve Kerr. And what was it, 26 and 0 or something like that? The Warriors went in at one stage. Yeah. And he, he was, you know, the the all seeing overlord of that. And it was like, <laughs> you, you could you could literally, you could replace him with a ragdoll and the ragdoll would still get them to 26. <laughs> that team that they had was insane. It's and hard. Like, yeah. I, I agree. I've, I've seen Luke Walton coach, um, I've, I've been in the stands at the Lakers a couple of times. And every single time I've seen him coach, he would spend more time looking at the refs than he would talking to any of his players. And you're like, mate, this is not what you're meant to do. You need to, <laughs> I know you I know you don't really need to kind of coach LeBron, but you need to tell the other guys what to do because they're looking at you going, what, what, what play do we run? You know, what are we doing next? Yeah. And you're too busy looking and talking to the refs. <laughs> just go and talk to your players. <laughs> Oh, it's just oh, it's, I just I don't I don't think he's going to league very very long. He will be one of these guys who should end up as an assistant coach again, and that's where his level should be until he learns how to deal with a with the actual team and not just individuals. That's where he needs to be. He's just he's in my mind he's just not quite there yet. I agree. I agree. I'm not sure if he ever will get there, but I agree. Yeah, I mean, Sacramento have a great team this year. They've got a lot of young guys, and they can produce some real amazing-looking basketball. But until he sorts out his what his goal is and what his vision is, they're going to still just play random minutes every single game. Yeah, Like, every time I look at the Sacramento minutes and how they're split up, it's like you've got 30 minutes from Harrison Barnes. That's pretty much a given. Then you've got maybe 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes, maybe 35 minutes from DeAndre Fox. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Buddy Heald in the start lineup, out the start lineup, in the start lineup. Halliburton in the start lineup, out the start lineup, in the start lineup. <laughs> Bagley in the start lineup, out the start lineup, in the start lineup. You know, like, just, just make a decision and stick with it. Yeah, really. You can't just keep changing every single game. You need to give it a couple of games and then decide because this is not working. You're not playing winning back over right now. <laughs> it's just insane. Um, I think that kind of takes us nicely to the upcoming week. Have you got any um, two games that you would like to highlight for our listeners? Um, I think the, the, the first game I want to have we uh, chat about, which I'm really looking forward to watch, is a, a Bucks v Nets game on the Monday. Mm, yes. I'm very interested to see that because I think it's going to be a real challenge to see how Kevin Durant and James Harden deal with a team that can actually play defence. That's that's my thoughts on that, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if um, Coach Bud can actually figure out how to beat a team that plays really good offense, because uh, he's, he's been struggling with that over the past couple of seasons. And then the next game, I've kind of copped out here, and I've picked two games, so technically I'm doing three. That's fair. But the second game is a back-to-back almost, kind of. It's the same game. You've got um, Boston v. 76ers on the Wednesday and the Friday. Now, the reason why I couldn't split them up, because... The Wednesday game, Seth Curry's probably going to be back for the 76ers, so it's going to be yeah. pretty much a full 76ers roster against Boston, which will not have uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, yeah. Possibly maybe Kemba Walker might be back. Then on the Friday, Jason Tatum's supposed to be back. So you're going to have pretty much two full squads going against each other. So I think it's going to be a real interesting matchup either on the Wednesday and the Friday, actually. What's your, what's your takes on those? I agree. 
Um, you took one of my two, so actually it works out now that you took <laughs> three because I'm just going to add one to that. But I 100% agree because every time you look at it, I mean, we're almost getting bored of seeing them play in the first round of the playoffs together. But 76ers Celtics is a really good recent rivalry where it's just the two – they pretty much grew up at the same point, basically. Tatum and Brown are kind of – similar age group, similar up and coming. The 76ers have a little bit of extra years of experience on them, but the Bede Simmons versus Brown Tatum rivalry has been good. Unfortunately, Tatum won't be there, but that's probably going to be the upper leg. And it's probably just going to fool Philadelphia fans, in my opinion. If I think, I think they have to take one of the two, if they take both, that's going to give them some false hope going into the postseason when they're at full force. But at the end of the day, I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier Kemba Walker, who knows if he's going to – what he's going to do. You kind of like Peyton Pritchard more in that role. And I agree just because it's tough to take a player like that. I think the same thing out of Zach Levine in Chicago. If you were to put him on a more talented roster, I don't think he would shine as much just because not as much of the volume is forced to be on him. So I hope Kemba Walker can kind of take this now because it's more of a similar role that he's used to, much better role players around him given. But – the fact that he could kind of have the show on his back, we'll see what he could do against 76ers front. But I think defensively, they're going to have a tough problem getting through the 76ers team. And of course, yeah, the Nets are going to be fun to see. Can they put up 150 plus on the Bucks? I don't think so. So will they be able to make a couple stops down the road? I also don't think so. But at the end of the day, I do think the Nets are going to win. So how it's going to happen, I don't know. It's probably just like you said, going to come down to the Bucks missing a couple too many shots. So what was what was your what was your your games you're looking forward to? My game, just kind of going off the two teams we were just talking about, was the Warriors Lakers tomorrow. I Ooh. I liked both those games tomorrow, like the back to back. But Warriors Lakers, just because everything is screaming for this to be a Lakers win at home, it's against the Warriors. LeBron and Steph, correct me if I'm wrong. Have they seen each other since they last played in the finals? Because he was hurt all last season. Uh, I think they did. They might have. Okay, so that's. Played, I think they played one game. That I thought Steph so. got hurt, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So still kind of new, and again, I just can't. I want to see what Steph can do by himself. So I want to see, go up best against the best, shock the world. I kind of really like the Lakers in this situation, or excuse me, I like the Warriors in this situation because I like what Steph can do around, and what he can make of the players around him. So that was my other game. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers do the same strategy that every other team's employed against the Golden State Warriors. Put mm-hmm. four guys around Steph, and you've got one guy to defend the rest of them. Yeah, that'll pretty be, much. That'll be an interesting matchup. Pretty much. But yeah, um, thanks very much for coming on and talking to us today, Tyler. Um, I'll let you away. <laughs> and no, no, it was fun. Thank you very much for having me. Best of the week. Thanks very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.